You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, Thursday means a preview, and you know your boy is fired up for Jets Week. We'll go to the tape, to the numbers, and break this thing down position by position. We'll tell you what's at stake and give you the three keys to victory. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. It is that time again the time for that trip up the coastline from nearly the deepest point south in the continental united states up to new jersey's northernmost point on that same eastern coastline a battle of two teams whose colors register somewhere within the realm of green though on either end of that spectrum a rivalry that has spawned streaks and runs through over 50 years of competition and yet just two wins Separate these two sides. 57, 55, and 1 all-time are your Miami Dolphins, thanks in large part to a four-game winning streak in eight of the last nine. And the Dolphins have looked the part of a team on the rise through the first four games, and the Jets are doing something of the same with two wins in their first four games for the first time in a long time for that team. And you know by now about Miami's build to this point. Let's look at how the Jets collected a pair of wins and sit at 500 in the month of October for the first time since 2018 and are going to have a fired-up home crowd Sunday with the possibility of getting over 500 in the month of October for the first time since 2017 against their most hated rival. It's year two of Robert Sala coaching a roster put together by GM Joe Douglas, who arrived in 2019 and went to work right away, accumulating draft capital for this Jets roster, most notably with the Jamal Adams trade, getting a pair of first-rounders back for that, and that's where the bulk of this roster has been built through the draft. He and his staff have been putting together this roster after that 2020 season where they won just two games and very late in the year were threatening there for a winless season and obviously playing at a deficit on that roster. It was one of the more, I would say, talent-poor rosters we've seen in the National Football League in some time, but they have built upon that. They drafted a quarterback with the second overall pick in 2021. We'll see if that works out for him. They went to work on the offensive line by trading up for Elijah Vera Tucker, who absolutely looks the part so far. They made a splash on draft night this year, getting Sauce Gardner, who looks like an absolute hit. Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, and Brees Hall, who are all contributing as rookies so far. Not to mention some solid free agent pickups along the way, a la Corey Davis, George Fant, Carl Lawson, DJ Reed, and Jordan Whitehead. Dolphins have won four straight over the Jets, but those weren't the same Jets teams you'll see on Sunday. They are improved, and we start our preview as we do weekly with the Miami offense and the quarterback position. A change this week, obviously, with Teddy Bridgewater getting his first start for his hometown Dolphins. And If you haven't had a chance to see his Wednesday press conference, 
Go check it out. What an easy guy to root for. I sure hope he lights it up on Sunday. He talked about the support he feels from the organization, not just this week as the starter, but since he signed here. He talked about the genuine vibes and how they're contagious throughout the entire building. And he just gives you this real calming presence and knowledge and experience that I think is going to be invaluable, not just for the team, but it has been so far for the quarterback's room uh, to start the year. And Coach McDaniel said as much, referring to to Teddy's openness and the ability to share insights and be a sounding board for younger guys to come to, saying that not all veterans are like that. You know, sometimes they don't want to give those secrets out. And now he gets to start a big road game with a chance to get to 3-0 in the division. I wrote a breakdown slash evaluation of Teddy back in, shoot, when was that? It had to have been 2019, right after Tannehill was gone, when he was visiting with the Dolphins, and it was looking like he might sign here to be the potential starter before Ryan Fitzpatrick signed, and so I got to work on the podcast and the film breaking down a written piece on LockedOnDolphins.com, And I remember loving how he grew from his time in Minnesota as a young player to an experienced veteran with his anticipation, timing, and feel, those things that improve and get better into your mid to late 20s and into your 30s. And obviously that was a tough situation Thursday night coming off the, you know, the bench and coming off, you know, a loss in a wild week. Coming off that stuff, I think that Teddy is exactly what this team needs right now. I think he's going to play poised. I think he's going to play smart. I think he's going to take advantage of the matchups that he determines to be most beneficial to the offense, which if you heard the presser, he said this is the most offensive firepower he's had in his career. And it's tough to argue that when you have the number one receiver in the league and the number six leading receiver in the National Football League with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. And here's a point that I think it's also worth mentioning. Teddy has been pretty even in his career in terms of wins and losses and, and, you know, good performances and not so great performances, some big moments, some losing streaks, a little bit of everything in between. But if you look at his body of work and really last year for the Broncos game by game, and you know, not going back to the Vikings, but Broncos and saints and Panthers, it's kind of come down to this for him. How good is the opponent? Cause last year with Denver seven and six as a starter, the seven wins were versus non-playoff teams. Six of them picked in the top 10 in the draft last year, in fact. And in those games, he never turned it over. He threw for seven touchdowns and had a 100 passer rating in all of them. In the losses, never a rating over 100. Seven picks against six playoff teams and a seventh against Cleveland that was decent as well last year. This is why I think Teddy is so damn valuable. You need him to win a game that you are, by the numbers, supposed to win, right? I think he probably will. So the question then becomes... Well, what do you think of the Jets team? I have my answer. We'll get to that through the rest of the podcast. How about one of the keys we look at weekly? Throwing versus pressure and versus the blitz. The Jets blitz at the fourth lowest clip in the league, 16.8% of the time, and they pressure at a higher rate, which is a sign of a team with a good four-man rush. That's a 23.4% pressure rate. That's 18th best in the NFL. So 20 uh, numbers, 32, 31, 29th most frequent blitzing team, 18th best pressure team so far. And we'll use Teddy's numbers from last year since it's a greater sample size than just the one and some change games he played this year. I guess it's less than one game in totality. Versus the Blitz last year, 73.9% completion, 8.9 yards per attempt, nine touchdowns, and just two picks. Now you have to imagine this means the Jets go to what they do best and get pressure with four-man rushes, but you never know. Against pressure, Teddy, 58.4%, 5.9 yards per attempt, seven touchdowns, and one pick. I mean, the poise right there. The numbers, like, 
The ball comes out fast, lower percentage rate, lower yards per attempt, but seven touchdowns, one pick. The poise to not turn it over against pressure, you know, you're always going to get dips in the completion percentage and YPA, but man, that touchdown interception ratio, it's good. It's really good against pressure. And Teddy will get, you know, a lot of the same looks on a down-by-down basis. They just don't mix up their personnel very often. Do the New York Jets, uh, they're 3-4. They run that 18% of the time. It's a base package. 4-3, 27% of the time. So they really are in base. Oh boy, some more math to come here. That looks like 45% to me. And then your nickel is the other half of the time. So, you know, that's going to be matchup base for them there. And dime, by the way, 4.5% making up the remainder. But if they're not going to substitute match personnel, that could be an area the Dolphins say, hey, let's go ahead and take advantage of this matchup, this, that, or the other. They're in a 50-50 split between single high and two high safeties. They've run 11 plays this year with zero safeties, that you know, cover zero look, and one play this year with three high safeties. So you typically get nickel half the time, base the other half the time, and an even split between single and two high safety looks. There's a difficulty here for me trying to figure out the best route to win because I'm looking at a potential game plan where maybe you do try to spread them out and get them into mismatches where they don't match our receivers. Like if you get a safety or, you know, a linebacker on a receiver, go after it. But also I think the running game and attacking these linebackers in coverage out of, you know, 12 personnel looks, 21 personnel, 22 personnel, and force the linebackers to play coverage on Alec Ingold, Mike Gesicki, Durham Smythe, Hunter Long potentially back this week, or, you know, the one receiver on the field, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, whatever the case may be, because other teams have had a lot of success, and we'll get to this, running the football and throwing behind that second level of the Jets' defense. They only play two safeties, barely at all. Ashton Davis essentially is your dime back, that 4.5% usage. That's basically his playing time. Jordan Whitehead and LaMarcus Joyner are the full-time players they have there. Whitehead's just tremendously heady. He tends to be around the football. He's kind of like our safeties in terms of the fact that he uses instincts and knowledge and preparation to put himself in advantageous situations. Plays all over the field. 117 snaps in the post, 99 down in the box, 29 in the slot. So find Jordan Whitehead. Uh, every snap. And then LaMarcus Joyner is pretty similar, although he's in the post more often. He's a ball hawk, though. Already has two picks. He pulled down a 50-50 ball out of the hands of Chase Claypool last week. He's been in the post for 168 snaps with 47 in the box. So they're pretty interchangeable in terms of their alignment, although Whitehead does spend more time down in the muck and the mire. I'm curious to see if they play too high a little more, you know, 50-50 on the year, just because if you're going to play single high and you're going to have Waddle and Hill on the field, you're playing with fire. So I'm curious to see what they do with regards to that. And combined, those guys, those two safeties, have been targeted 16 times, 12 catches, 176 yards, three touchdowns, three picks. So kind of feast or famine there in the touchdown interception world. And then receivers and tight ends versus corners. And of course, that coverage is also dictated with those safeties by the underneath corners. The Jets had a home run with Sauce Gardner in the draft. He looks the absolute part so far. He has excellent press and mirror skills. He competes up the stem and at the catch point. Really good-looking player for them. It looked like he gambled some in the preseason and training camp based upon the videos we saw, but I think he's kind of dialed that back and playing more true to their zone coverages. His individual matchups this year have been impressive. The Steelers completed just two of seven on him for nine yards. T. Higgins caught two of three for 51 on him, but Jamar Chase didn't catch a pass on just one target against him. Amari Cooper caught all four of his targets in the Browns game for 33 yards. 
Donovan Peoples-Jones got the only other target, did not catch that pass. And then the Ravens completed one of three targets against Gardner for just eight yards in his first career game. So he's seen targets against speedsters, size guys, tight ends, and slots. So IDing number one is a good idea. He's kind of the straw that stirs the drink already as a rookie in that defensive backfield. He did not register an RAS uh, workout number because he didn't work out. But the other two primary corners are DJ Reed and Michael Carter. Reed never leaves the field. Carter plays 66% of the time in the slot, you know, all the time. And their coverage numbers are 8 of 18, 73 yards, no touchdowns, one pick for Reed, 11 of 13, 168, one touchdown, one pick against Michael Carter. And frankly, I think those contexts need some numbers because remember the discussion we had about defensive metrics are largely a result of who you've played. Well, last week, Trubisky and Pickett wasn't their best game, and Jacoby Brissett the week prior to that uh, was not lighting the scoreboard up either. So those numbers, I think, a little bit inflated. We'll see about them facing Josh Allen. Uh, you know, I, wish, you know, I wish it was Tua, but that's down the line, hopefully. Um, guys, you know, who else are we play on this freaking schedule? Let me look real quick. Justin Herbert, um, Aaron Rodgers, those guys. You know, We'll see about that. So those are the individuals, but as we know, this tends to be you know a team operation, especially since... The Jets play zone at the sixth highest rate in the NFL, and they just don't have corners travel. So you can dictate and create matchups that you want that way. And playing man against the speed this Dolphins team has typically is not the best idea. So the design is a critical element for creating space and then Teddy processing it quickly. And as we know, Tyreek and Jalen can take a 10-yard throw and turn them into explosive plays, but I'm looking at a potential of ball control, sustaining drives to function off the running game and setting down some guys like Cedric Wilson, Trent Sherfield, Mike Gesicki into the soft spots of the zone because as we'll get to, those areas have been exploited by the first four teams the Jets have played so far. And then, of course, it always starts in the trenches, right? We'll come back on the other side of the uh, the break here, easy for me to say, and preview Dolphins offensive line versus Jets defensive line. Plenty more to come here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast, our preview of the Jets game. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs. I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay. So you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah. Like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. <laughs> hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. All right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Segment number two here on a preview Thursday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. I always try to get the entire Dolphins offense segment done in the first segment, but it never works out because these podcasts go a little bit long, but I don't think anyone's complaining about 10 extra minutes of podcast per day, but we do pick it back up here. Dolphins O-line, 
versus the Jets' defensive line. And really few teams use rotation as much as the Jets. Here are their top defensive tackles and defensive ends in terms of snap counts and their pressure numbers to follow. Quinnen Williams, a 61% player, leads defensive tackles, also has the most pressures with 11. Then a big drop-off in terms of pressure. Sheldon Rankins, 50% player, four pressures. Solomon Thomas and Nathan Shepard, both at 35%, and both have one pressure each. So Quinnen Williams, kind of like Sauce Gardner, is your straw that stirs a drink. He is, we'll talk about him in a second. Off the edge, Carl Lawson, 53% snap takers. That's our top guy. He's playing barely half the snaps. 11 pressures, also tied for the team lead. And then again, a big drop-off. Franklin Myers, 48% snap taker, five pressures. Jacob Martin, 38% snap taker, eight pressures. And then Michael Clemens, the rookie, plays a quarter of the snaps and has four pressures to show for. So Williams, inside, absolute force, commands a ton of attention, lots of doubles, and can win with both power and speed. He's kind of the man, like we said with Sauce, that stirs the drink for them there. And off of that, they are just a big, big physical group with heavy ends. These teams have a decent amount of mirrored prototypes that way. Carl Lawson's terrific. The way he plays the run and gets after the quarterback and that 270-pound type of build guy, not far off from what we do here. Franklin Myers is the same way. He's like Wilkins in that he can play up and down the line. Rankins is a space eater inside. Jacob Martin, we told you, a 38% player, but eight pressures this year. He's a terrific nickel rusher type, a guy that comes in third long and just goes after the quarterback and can take advantage of the one-on-ones that he gets created by the aforementioned players, and he wins them with regularity. It's a game like this that I'm very happy We've got Teron Armstead and and Connor Williams. The play of the line this year has been really good, and those two guys have certainly brought a big-time level of production with them. Frankly, I I like Teron against anybody in the NFL. He's proven that through four games. I mean, nobody's gotten him yet, and that includes Von Miller and Trey Hendricks in the last two weeks. And then Connor Williams, you know, whoever he kind of gets to double Quinn and Williams inside with, and I I like Rob Hunt in that matchup as well. Uh, You know, maybe to the right, you let Quinn and go free. Maybe to the left, you double him up there a little bit. Um, but he's definitely someone you have to contend with, and then hopefully you can just win your one-on-ones across the board the rest of the way, but focus on Carl Lawson and Quinnen Williams. And then this part really bleeds into our next section, as this is want to do, but kind of here's my thought. You know, big ends, a defensive line that utilizes rotation and can get worn down as the game goes along as far as the, uh, you know, the conditioning goes. So running the ball wide, stretching them out, and attacking those bigger edges directly, like run the ball right at them and utilize play pass against linebackers who this year in coverage have really struggled. I keep thinking about how adept we are at throwing the football behind that second level of the defense with Tua in the game. Man, we need Teddy to be right on that same level, right where Tua left off, because other teams have had so much success in that area. That's why I love this matchup uh, pre-injuries. So here's the last three quarterbacks they've faced, right? Jacoby Brissett was 6 of 8 in the 10 to 19 yard range for 80 yards. Joe Burrow was 6 of 7 for 91 in the touchdown. Trubisky and Pickett, 4 of 5 for 71 yards. So there you go. I mean, suck those guys up with the running game, throw behind them, and get those matchups on the linebackers we'll talk about here. It's a big key for me this week. They utilize two linebackers as a running back linebacker matchup now that never leave the field. Mosley's the primary backer who plays 100% of the snaps. And then Quincy Williams, when he's healthy, it's him. But last week it was Quan Alexander who played 92% of the snaps. Mosley is a force against the run, 12 run stops to lead the team this year on just 109 rundown snaps. Alexander has been in there for 76 and has seven of his own. So, you know, 
right around 10% for both of those guys is a good number. But if they can get single coverage on anybody inside, a situation where you have a backer taking on either a back tight end or best case wide receiver, man, that's where it's got to go. And it can happen. And also in the slot position as well. We talked about the numbers against their slot corners, like those inside formations where you can kind of dictate it that way. Uh, or I should say the in, the interior of any formation attacking in that direction. It could be a game where you need to get the backs going to set that stuff up though, right? Because like Coach said on his Wednesday press conference, he could see some instances in the Bengals game where he thought that guys may be doing a little bit too much to try to make a play. But the truth is, it is a team effort. And when one guy goes down, you need others to step up. That obviously means Teddy. But how about taking some of the pressure off? What if this is the game where the running game gets going? That would certainly do it, wouldn't it? I'm excited to see what Chase and Raheem can do. I think their speed against a front that doesn't really feature speed is their primary calling card is a valuable asset. And I think in this game, I think we can get the run game going. Let's go ahead and finish up here with the Jets coverage numbers at this position and round it out. Mosley, 12 of 18 for 131 yards, no touchdowns or picks. It's pretty efficient going after him. Alexander, 8 of 8, 74 yards. Efficient. Williams, Quincy Williams, 15 of 16 for a buck 21 and a touchdown against him. So, you know, again, between the actual slot corner, you know, Michael Carter II, who is three-cone time and, and shuttle time, where we talk about that every week, it's not on the upper echelon. Linebackers and safeties and coverage, this is the route that I think is best forward. And we know how this offense can create matchups inside and get favorable looks based upon personnel and varying looks off of said personnel to create that matchup. You know, the, the look where you get Ingold, Ingold as the, the split-out wide receiver, the one with Waddle in close as the three. I think you could see some stuff like that on Sunday. And then Mike McDaniel's ability to sequence and design plays to attack the vulnerabilities with 10 days off to prepare. To me, that's a big difference here. I don't think the passing game will drop off a whole lot as a result. So I expect the Dolphins to be able to move the ball offensively. And then defensively is where they have to really get after as we pick it up here with the Dolphins defense versus the Jets offense, quarterback versus safety. Here's the Jets personnel groupings. It's a lot like last week, 11 personnel, 74% of the time, 12 personnel, the two tight ends on the field, 17% of the time, and then two back sets, 21 personnel is 5.2%. Nothing else is over 1.5%. So three quarters of the time, there'll be one back, one tight end, three receivers, and then 17% of the time, one back, two tight ends, two receivers, and then a couple of two back sets there as well. And you heard Coach McDaniel talk about being closest with the Jets staff over any besides his previous stop. With the Niners, he came up with Robert Salah. He worked a ton with their offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur. So there's obviously some scheme carryover. The Jets love the same modern principles you're seeing around the league. A lot of condensed formations with deep drops off of play action. And they typically pair that with an over route and some type of layer throw where you have a deep middle and short opportunity. Cut the field in half. We'll see if Miami can kind of, you know, play into that a little bit. Of course, that pairs with the wide runs, the stretches, the outside zones, the toss plays. But where I think Miami has the advantage here is the Jets are really thin at the tackle position. And if they have to pull Vera Tucker to play tackle, that just thins out their guard position more. So I think Miami can really kind of win this game by dominating the edges, both in the run game and the passing game. More on that in a moment. Remember the last last game or last year in the game when they had like four or five trick plays in that first half and they scored 17 first half points and they gained like 50 yards the entire second half? Be ready for that because they did that against the Steelers again to some success and then didn't have success in their traditional, you know, real type of NFL offenses. 
he, uh, Zach Wilson scored on Philly special last week, and they also ran a double pass successfully in the game. So keeping your head on a swivel for the tomfoolery is a big one. But speaking of Zach Wilson, how did his debut go last week? 18 of 36, that's 50%. Seven yards per pass, one touchdown, two picks. He averaged 3.31 seconds time to throw, and that lends credence to what I think his game is, which is big play hunting, trying to show off the uh, multiple arm talent or multiple arm angle talents that he features. He wants to create and keep plays alive. So tackling is a huge key against him. And, you know, thinking about a potential doomsday scenario from their perspective, I could see playing out is the shorthanded nature of that tackle position, making it difficult to run wide, which, you know, they couldn't really block the edges in that Pittsburgh game that paired with Wilson, who has never really seen a pocket that he wants to step up into he put the ball in harm's way several times in that game. He was lucky he wasn't picked off more than just the two times. It should have been four or five in that game. The other area that he must be better in to beat Miami, he missed a lot of layups in that game. That's who he's been so far uh, through however many starts it's been, 10 or 11 for him in his career. Screens, swings, checkdowns, the accuracy kind of fluctuates. You do that one time in a drive and suddenly you get behind the chains and I don't think they can survive being behind the chains against this Dolphins defense, especially with their offensive line situation and, uh, you know, the turnover nature, the, the turnover potential nature of the offense, his advanced stats in that first start. Here you go, man. Like against the blitz, three of 11, 41 yards and a pick. It's not good. Pressured three of 13, 46 yards and two picks worse in the Dolphins game last year, he was 13 of 23 for a buck 70 and no touchdowns and no picks. When they blitzed him, 6 of 11 for 81. When he was pressured, 3 of 6 for 56. So getting pressure on this guy, it's how you beat him. It's the case for most guys, but for a young quarterback especially, 3.18 time to throw in that game. And watch his tape. When he gets that pressure, he wants to retreat, not step up. He wants to retreat and then attack the line of scrimmage and try to make those off-script big plays that make the highlight reels. So it's important to stick to your man in coverage on the back end for safeties and corners alike. His career versus the Blitz, 44.7%, 4.8 yards per attempt, no touchdowns and two picks. That's what Dolphins do best, right? They blitz the quarterback. His career versus pressure, 29.3% with five yards per pass. Four touchdowns and three picks. So getting pressure on this guy, four-man rushes, five-man, six-man, whatever you got to do, put pressure on Zach Wilson. As for our guys, it's the same story as our first four games. Javon Holland, Brandon Jones, they're so quick. They're so instinctive. They disguise what they do so very well. They've been fantastic, but staying on your man and extending the play along with Wilson, that's my key for those guys. I cannot wait to see what we have cooked up with our mini buy for our first, not rookie quarterback, but I mean, as far as games played, he is a rookie because he has less than 16 games. I don't put Mac Jones in that category after playing the entire year last year for week one this season. But, you know, if you want to do that, I mean, three sacks, a pick and two fumbles there. So just not a sharp day at all for the Pats offense against this Dolphins defense. I think that's what this defense will do all year against teams that don't have that. I think Miami will look really, really good. And against the really good offenses, like everybody else in the league, might not look as good. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back on the other side and preview the rest of this Jets offense versus the Dolphins defense. That's next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. We are through the quarterback versus safety position of Jets offense, Dolphins defense. We pick it back up with the weapons at Zach Wilson's disposal versus this Dolphins cornerback group. And those weapons have gotten better each year. I mean, we saw Elijah Moore, what he was capable of last year, 
Rookie Garrett Wilson looks like a stud, and Corey Davis has been solid now for a long time. We know Miami can mix up their coverages as well as anybody, and we even saw it in the two games last year. Elijah Moore had the big game in New York, and then we kind of did our part to limit their entire passing game in the second go-around, largely through pressure. More on that in a moment. But here are their snap counts from last week. Elijah Moore played 90%. He is the number one receiver. Garrett Wilson played 77%. Corey Davis played 74%, and Braxton Berrios played 10%. So they play... Moore, Wilson, and Davis. And then at tight end, Tyler Conklin, 81%. CJ Uzama, 44%. Moore and Wilson are crafty route runners who can separate against man coverage. We'll see if Dolphins play a lot of man coverage in this game. And then Davis is kind of a bull in the china shop who can just out-physical you. It's hard to peg this matchup when you're not entirely sure who's going to be out there. We know X is day-to-day. We know Byron will not be activated this week. Cater Kohu has played really well, and obviously Nick Needham has played a ton against this Jets team and has shut down some of their good receivers in the past, a la Jamison Crowder, although he's no longer a Jet. But I think the key here, and this plays to the pass rush, as we mentioned, is to disrupt timing and just make getting from point A to point B for these receivers as difficult as possible. And that can be a challenge because do you play man where your backs get turned on a quarterback who wants to extend and create or even run the football? Or do you stay primarily zone and force Wilson to beat you pre-snap with his anticipation and processing? Mixing is always the good way to go, but my pick is for the latter because of those pressure numbers against this quarterback. Make the windows tight. Give yourself plenty of opportunities for batted and tip balls and capitalize on the opportunities that you will definitely get in this game to make those splash plays. I've been saying this for a while. I think it's coming. The cavalcade of... Negative plays for this defense, sacks, tackles for losses, and takeaways. I think it's coming. I think it's this game. I guess we'll find out, but either way, it starts here in our next group on the offensive line versus defensive line. And again, you know, the tackle situation with Wilson's proclivity to go backwards, it's a bad combination. The Dolphins have to find a way to capitalize on that because this Jets offensive line has been a war of attrition. Makai Becton lost for the season back in August. So they signed Dwayne Brown. He's been on IR, but he returned to practice this week, opening up his 21-day window to return. We'll see if we get him on Sunday. Uh, Robert Salah said they'd have to go up until game time to see if he's ready to rock uh, for a game time decision. George Fant, who was a big hit for them in free agency at right tackle, he's down. They lost rookie Max Mitchell in the game Sunday, so he's down. They've shuffled Elijah Vera Tucker, kicked out to play tackle for the first time in his career, and all he did was pitch a shutout in that position, so he's a dang good player. Again, we'll see about Dwayne Brown, but this is the lineup they finished last week with and the pressure numbers to go off of. This is among 217 pass-blocking snaps, which only Vera Tucker and their left guard, Lincoln Tomlinson, have played the entire season. Vera Tucker, 14 pressures. Tomlinson, 15 allowed. So they're two best guys. That's a pretty high number still for those guys. Connor McGovern on 53 pass-blocking snaps, five pressures. Nate Herbig, 40, uh, 44 pass-blocking snaps, three pressures, and then Connor McDermott came off the bench uh, to play right tackle, 53 pass-blocking snaps, seven pressures. So really, it's pick your poison. When the Dolphins get one-on-ones, they have to win them. That's that's kind of how it goes here. We'll find out about Dwayne Brown. He could be a big get if he comes back for the Jets to get Vera Tucker back to guard. But even inside, Wilkins' pass rush win rate is 29.4% via ESPN and NextGen, which is third among defensive tackles. Pretty dang good. His ability to continuously do that could be a big factor this week. I think injuries and player absences can be a little bit overblown sometimes. Obviously, being down certain players, your quarterback is always going to present a big challenge to overcome, but all of these guys are pros. And, you know, there's a reason that it's never as simple as saying player X is out, therefore they can't overcome situation Y. Like teams find ways to scheme around 
losses and things of that nature. So it's more about coaching and, and using that depth to your advantage. But the reason I bring up Wilkins' importance in size is because it could be that second wave, which admittedly is one of Zach Wilson's strengths, the ability to make the first guy miss and extend beyond that. But as I mentioned in the quarterback segment, he tends to drift from pressure and that the way this defense plays so gap sound with both interior and exterior pressure, excuse me, my expectation is to turn the ball over several times. I think this has been sort of bubbling for a while now. I think this is the game where it happens. The first quarterback where we will see with fewer than 16 starts, if Miami can generate the pressure you'd expect against a banged up offensive line, I think some decisions can get made where the ball will be there for Miami to take it away. Another nice start to the year for Emmanuel Ogba. I think he could have a big game. Melvin Ingram was the defensive player of the month in September. I think he could be in line for a big game. Andrew Van Ginkle getting back. Jalen Phillips has been so close so many times. He did get home last week. I think Phillips could have another kind of breakout game here this week. And then inside, Wilkins, that pass rush, pass rush, pass rush win rate. Sealer doing his thing. It's so cliche to say this, but if the Dolphins can control the trenches, I think they'll do really well. Uh, with with the result on Sunday. Finally, running backs and linebackers, we finish up with their backs, which has been a two-man show this year. They even operate in some two-back personnel without a fullback on the roster, which tells you what? They bring both Brees Hall and Michael Carter onto the field at the same time. Their splits are kind of funny. It's almost, I mean, it's 110%, but it tells you how much they use these guys. Brees Hall, 66%. Michael Carter, 44%. Carter is a shifty big play threat. Had that big run of the game last year, set up their first touchdown, but Brees Hall has three times as many 10-plus yard runs, 6-2. to two. He's averaged 3.37 yards after contact. Anything over two is good. Carter's at 2.7. So again, tackling, very important here in this one. Again, I think the style of this matchup benefits Miami because Brees Hall is patient to a fault sometimes, and I think that our flow can cut him down before he can make his decisions. And then Jerome Baker's played so well the last couple of games. I like the way his speed pairs up with Carter and Duke Riley's as well. Then when they get in the rundowns versus or, or short yard situations where it looks like it's going to be a run and they want to hammer the rock, that's where I think a Landon can kind of show off what he's done so well the last couple of years. Good matchup there on paper. And we finish up. Just took a sweatshirt off mid-podcast. What do you think about that? Pretty good? Finish up here with these specialists. DVOA, Jets rank second in special teams. The Dolphins rank 31st. Got to get that number up. Uh, Jason Sanders has one miss this year, a 50-plus yarder last week. Also missed his first extra point in forever. But he's kicking an 83.3% clip, including 100% on field goals, 49 yards and in. Greg Zerline, a little bit accuracy issues the last couple of years, but you know he's got the big leg. Just one miss this year, and it came between the 40 to 49-yard range. Also has one missed extra point, but he's 3-for-3 three three from 50-plus. He's always been known for that big leg, and so this is one of those games where as soon as they cross midfield, they can start thinking about potential three-point opportunities. And then Thomas Morstead averaging 45.2 per punt, but has been nothing short of brilliant in flipping the field. And then Braden Mann, their punter, 45.7 yards per punt. What's at stake in this game? I've been one to use cliches both as evidence and in something of a mocking tone. And frankly, I'm not sure where I come down on this one. That you got to go 500 on the road and win all your home games. You do that, you'll get to 12 and 4. Obviously, you can tell that's an outdated mantra because we don't play 16 games anymore. So 12 and 4 is not possible. And while I do fully agree that when it comes to divisional road games, any win is a massive one because you hold serve at home in your division and you still one or two on the road, get to 5 and 1 in the division, you're going to be right in the mix there at the end of the year. So that's at stake a chance to get to 3 and 0 in the division, a win over all of our biggest rivals and out to a four and one start for the first time since 2003. And also all those would be in conference. How big would that be? However, some more notes here. 
Interestingly enough, did you know that through the first four weeks this year, home teams are actually under 500? Home teams are 31 and 33 this season. And that is a trend that began to develop in the pandemic-impacted 2020 season. Naturally, you could assume that limited fans or no fans at all in some places would lessen the impact of home field advantage. But this number includes 2021 as well, including postseason games in 2020. Road teams were 132 and 136, almost 500. Last year, that trend stayed similar. You add 16 more games, obviously, the extra week. 136 and 148 for road teams. So the home and road splits are not that drastic anymore. But in the case of a divisional game, which Coach said himself is like the money ball at the end of the rack in a three-point contest, again, 4-1 and one with three divisional wins, four in conference. That is about as good as you can start a season. Let's make it happen. The three keys of the game. Don't let Zach Wilson get comfortable. Pressure him, blitz him, four-man pressure looks. Whatever the case may be, keep him uncomfortable, and you'll do just fine on Sunday. Number two, continued success attacking the intermediate part of the field. Talk about the linebackers sucking those guys up, throwing the ball to their biggest vulnerabilities on the defense in terms of coverage. Go after that intermediate portion of the field. Number three, finish plays. They're going to give you opportunities for takeaways. Finish them. Finish your big play opportunities. Break tackles in the open field. Finish on special teams. Cover kicks. Make your kicks. All the above. Finish plays. That's it. That's the preview podcast. Friday, Antoine Staley is going to join us. You guys know who he is to help give us the Jets perspective. We'll talk some college football. We'll open up the Twitter mailbag. And then it's on to the weekend for Jets week. And then Mariners playoffs and college football this weekend. Big, big sports weekend this weekend. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with my guy Seth and Juice, our post-game show on WQAM 560. Also, the weekly Twitter Spaces show every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. We did take this week off. We'll be back with you guys next Wednesday. Check out the YouTube channel for Dolphins Today, media availabilities. And, of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy's coming home.